0: Hello and welcome to The Screen Composer Studio, a podcast about the musical storytellers behind some of your favorite films, shows, video games, and more. I'm your host Adrian Ellis and in this episode we speak to Darren Fung. Born of Chinese immigrant parents, he started his musical education at a very early age and had his first orchestral work performed when he was only 15. Eventually found his way to Montreal where he studied at McGill University and finally to LA where he currently makes his home. All along the way, this savvy entrepreneur has found himself helped by many amazing mentors and has himself long been giving back to the community that helped get him his start. His stunning work on Niobe Thompson's The Great Human Odyssey and Equus' Story of the Horse won him Canadian Screen Awards in 2016 and 2019, and he has led orchestras across Canada in highly acclaimed concert performances of both miniseries. We chat about the intensity and pressure of live orchestral recording sessions and what it takes to pull them off, his work on a piece of music that could have made him the most hated man in Canada, the journey that led him to Hollywood, and his thoughts about living and working in the mecca of filmmaking and music. Please be warned, this episode does contain some spicy words, so be aware if you're listening with kids or anyone sensitive to not-so-safe-for-work language. And if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating and sharing the episodes with your friends and followers. It really helps us grow and share the stories of these amazing creators. And now, please enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Darren Fung. Darren, welcome to the Screen Composer Studio.
1: Hey, it's great to be here, Adrian. Thanks, uh, thanks
0: for having me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this talk for a long time because uh, not only is your journey as a composer for the screen very uh, interesting, but um, you know, you and I have been friends for over a decade, so I've got all the dirt on you.
1: I know, I know. You, you, you also see me working, in, you know. You it's me working like right next to you and you see how unelegant it is. So <laughs> 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 pounding that, like pounding the MIDI keyboard, right?
0: <laughs> where are you? Where are you coming to us uh, today? What's, where are you at?
1: Uh, this is my studio, which has been um, I, I've selectively chosen the camera angle to avoid any mess and to show uh, and, to, and to show and to not show the crazy like rats nested cables that's on the floor. Uh, but just show you a nice grand piano that's right
0: there. Ooh, you know, that, just,
1: that, that, that just looks so much more uh, elegant than my studio stuff. <laughs>
0: and I'm, I'm sure it's another absolutely perfect day in sunny Los Angeles, California.
1: Um, it, it is absolutely beautiful. It is getting warm out there, but it, it's tough because with coronavirus mm. and, and COVID nineteen, I mean, I just dropped my son off at day camp, and which is which is you know a celebration for us because it's just like. Get the f out of the house, right? Like, like you know, you need to do something. You, 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 need to get off your devices and if the fold it. You know, it's like it's swimming and archery and all this. You know, that's like all the good camp stuff, right? But there's still a little bit, you know, oh, all that nice weather. You're still worried a little bit about the coronavirus, so it's, it's kind of bittersweet.
0: Right? You yeah, don't of want course. To do too
1: much, but yeah. Uh, but yeah.
0: So I want I want to start off by winding us back, uh, as I often do in these shows, um, to talk about your early life. Who were your parents? What uh, what was your story growing up?
1: <laughs> well, um, you know, it's funny because my bio for the longest time is like all the Chinese boys, I started playing piano when I was four, three or four, it's still up for debate. But, um, you know, my mother, um, my mother and father are both from Hong Kong and they came over from Hong Kong in the 70s, right? Um, they were, my mother was a very typical tiger mom, you know, like, you know, uh, books, school, music, you know, um, sort, of, sort of the typical, you know, Canadian boy upbringing of like playing hockey. You know, that never happened for me, although I, I rebelled against that in my 30s and started like, playing <laughs> hockey in my 30s. Um, but, and my dad was an engineer, uh, you know, very much focused on that. So, uh, you know, started piano at a really young age, and then my mom put me in violin lessons as well, too. The violin didn't really stick. Um, although, although you know, I still take some of those lessons in the orchestration that I do today. Um, but then I, I switched it in junior high, I switched over to saxophone. Um, and so I, you know, play, play, you know, don't really play at all anymore. I, I had a band teacher friend who asked me to play O Canada for uh, the Music Cares uh, uh, Music Day, whatever it was, and I, I dusted off the saxophone. And surprisingly, like, you know, everything that the saxophone actually played, Surprisingly well. I played surprisingly horribly, but, um, <laughs> but, I, but I played surprisingly well. And I decided to accompany myself on piano only to, to diminish the shame of my horrible people. <laughs> <the, to diminish
0: laughs> were horrible, your parents, horrible, was there any uh, musical, you know, uh, was there any kind of music in your family growing up or were your parents non-musical?
1: Um, you know, my mom tried, but but my my parents both were not musical. Um, my dad actually, as what, what's funny about this, he didn't tell this to me until later on. He was an engineering student at the University of Minnesota, and he took like you know the introduction to keyboard key, piano class because he thought it would be a bird course, and it <laughs> totally ruined, it totally destroyed his GPA. Oh you
0: know. no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about how about you? Did you enjoy like that's three is very early to start? Did you enjoy it? as you got into it, or did it feel mostly like an obligation?
1: Um, I, I think for, you know, I think there's a lot, there, there's definitely enjoyment to it, but there's, there was, there was a certain sense of obligation to it. Right. Too, right? Um right. I think a certain point early on, and my mom was probably kicking herself in the butt for this. She, she said, you know what, if we were, we were Chinese school dropout, there. she said, I'll let you drop out of Chinese school. If you practice on piano, right. Like, yeah. You know, Chinese school dropout. Right? <laughs> um, you know, I think at a certain point, like, you know, I think my mom was like, you know, well, if you don't want to do it, just quit because it's costing an us an arm relay. But I think I was the one that was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let you have that victory over me. Um, and then it, it really started to get to something. I think, you know, pinpointing in high school, pretend ten 11, where it really just stopped being a chore uh, and started being something really good. I was still lazy as F, right? Like I was very lazy was a horrible practicer and anything it scares me a little bit because Andrew, my my son, um, <laughs> you know, I have to I have to practice with him, right? It's still like the same battle that I was fighting. It's like, oh, gotta find time to practice. I don't want to practice right now, right? Now. You know, um, but finding that time to practice, I think, or or, or finding the motivation to practice was always tough. Um, I remember in my grade twelve year, uh, my piano teacher David Tutt, who I'm still in touch with, still, you know, just saw him as early as, as January actually, when I, we were workshopping Equus in Edmonton, um, you know, he looked at me, I think it's like maybe like two months or three months before my exam. And I hadn't even learned this whole Mozart, you know, the Mozart Sonata that I had to do. And he's just like Darren, you have to practice, right? And I think it was like, like shame is a really good thing for me that a like, really good motivator. <laughs> uh, I, I, felt, I felt so horrible about it that I said, Okay, I gotta practice. And I just, I woodshed, right? I sat down and I woodshed the piano, and uh, and and you know, I, I did a great exam. And, you know, I got a 90 on my ARCT piano exam, uh, which was really cool, and yeah, and then. In high school also, you know, there, there was saxophone and there was jazz, but there was also the Young Composers Project with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. So John Astacio, who, um, you know, one of Canada's uh, foremost uh, prominent classical composers, right? He was young, he was in his 20s at the time, and he was a composer in residence at the Edmonton Symphony. And so he mentored me through this project called the Young Composers Project. So at 15, I wrote a piece of music for uh, the symphony, for, for the symphony, right? And it was, um, it was crazy because I did it all by hand, paper and pen, you know, like, like finale had just started to come out, but it wasn't really something that was, you know, in the mainstream yet. And so, you know, you're learning how to do all this notation, all the transposition and all that stuff by, uh, by, by hand. And um, there, there was something that was really magical, I think, about he, as a 15-year-old kid, hearing, like, you know, there's a a 60-piece orchestra on stage at the Jubilee Auditorium before the Women's Spirit Center, and and just kind of being blown away by it, right? And then there's also something terrifying about just, like, all the questions about all the mistakes in your parts, right, you know, because it was all done by hand. Uh, But at the end of the day, it was just, like, that, that experience is probably the pivotal thing that steered me into doing what I do.
0: But that is, I mean, you're jumping to something that is a considerable uh, achievement for anyone at any point. Is that first time in front of an orchestra. And I mean, what I'd love to know is like, when did you start composing? Like when, when did the first sort of inklings of like, I want to create my own music. I don't just want to replicate music that exists already.
1: I would say roughly at that time, right? I think that I'd always tinkled around with, Creating your little ditties on the piano or whatever like that before that but I never really focused on notating anything until I actually needed a portfolio to show up for the young composers project right and so then you know oh you know I took some time to actually do that notation right and and I think it was there where I, I you know there was like okay oh wow like you know we have to do this and then um that, that's a lie that's a lie there's this really horrible pop song that I wrote that like went to the elf off- Kiwanis competition but if anyone ever like bring digs up a recording with a score of that, like I'll be absolutely terrified and mortified. Right? Oh, this, <laughs> like, you know? this is
0: juicy. I'm, I'm making a note of that.
1: Oh like, yeah. Oh my God. You know, it's uh it, it was, but, but it, it was also my first experience of like then getting together like this band and ensemble. And then we like performed it at like, you know, the Kiwanis festival and then it go, went on to the provincial festival and, and you know, I won a scholarship and all that sort of stuff. Right? So, so that sort of stuff was really cool. Um, Is that
0: sort of, you say that's a but, big pivotal thing for you with Estacio. Was that yeah. sort of your first inkling that this could be something you could do for a living?
1: Yeah, you, you know, it, it's funny because when I, when I applied to McGill, right, um, and there's a funny story about that too, which we'll, we'll get into. But when I applied to McGill, um, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot about jazz piano, and it turns out I knew absolutely jack shh. Can I swear on this? Can I swear on
0: Yeah, this? we'll put a note in Is front. <laughs> Go for okay. it.
1: Okay. Uh, because, yeah, uh, I, I, um, in terms of I knew shit about jazz piano, right? And, and it was very evident in my, in my edition. What's funny about my addition was that um, I took my driver's exam, right? And I passed my driver's exam. And of course, my mom said, that's great, congratulations, don't touch the car. <laughs> well, he's, got, he's got he's got a video he's got a the edition for mcgill right so he takes the car he freaking rear ends uh rear ends uh seven and a half months pregnant oh i am like losing my crap right i am just losing losing i'm losing my shit right and um <laughs> i didn't know who to call so i called i was student union president at my high school at the time and i called my my teacher janet hancock uh who who said okay you need to focus. I'm going to come pick you up. Uh, I, You're going to come over to my house. You're going to have dinner um, with, with Dave, you know, and so, it was, you know, with Janet and Dave and Dave Hancock, who ended up being the interim premier of Alberta for a little bit, right? You know, but, you know, he's just kind of there, to calm me down, and just saying, okay, well, here's what the issue with the insurance. Don't worry so much about the insurance and all this stuff. Just you need to focus on this addition, right? I did this addition. Um, you know, I had a friend who, with, who had graduated from Grant McEwan, and he was basically you know got together with this trio. We did this thing, but it just turned out that like I knew nothing about jazz piano, and um, I was always, I always thought I'd do this double degree in jazz piano composition, but I only got accepted in composition and not jazz piano at McGill. Mm. But that sort of spearheaded me towards the composition side, and that sort of made up my decision for me, um, which was fine. You know that that was great. You know, and I, I found that I really excelled at the composition stuff. But when I was at McGill. McGill sort of focuses on a very academic sort of composition, like a very avant-garde. Right. If, yeah. If you're, you're, you know, the atonalism, and, and I had never really discovered any of this stuff in high school, right? It was, uh, it, it was, it was just like kind of beyond me. It's like all of a sudden it was the Stockhausen and, and and all this stuff. and. And I struggled with that in my, my first and my second year, but then I think I started to embrace it in my, third, you know, in my third year, and I just really started to try to push the envelope a little bit, right? Mm. Um, you know, just, just trying things, like, you know, just really trying to do, like, you know, not relying on tonality, re- relying on, on trying to use extended techniques. But I think that whatever I did, one of the, the, the key tenets of, of, of what I was trying to do, that the music had to be accessible, Right. I think you can make very good music, like very good, good like, like music music that is, um, will please the academics, but is also aesthetically pleasing. That, that like, mm. you know, you can actually listen to, right? Like that's not just right. like, you know like screeches and wrong and you know. So you know. My third and four, you know third and fourth year, beginning of the fourth year, I was kind of had this very snooty like ooh tonality, you know, I you know walking around with like <laughs> sort of, like you know pompous ass. I remember and John John Astasio, he always said that I always mentioned this. I you know, uh, he was he had moved to Calgary for a little bit, and so Gifty and I visited him in Calgary, and I played him like you know my 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 piece, this two piano two percussion piece that I did, and um, and he pauses for a second, and he goes. Well, that was very McGill. <laughs> that sounded very McGill, right? And wow. and it, it was, um, and but I, I think I realized sort of like you know as I was applying to grad school. I applied to McGill grad school, and I I got in, and I, you know I realized that this isn't the kind of academic music that I want to do. Like I I don't I don't want to write this kind of music. I want to write music that people like that has melodies I want to write for orchestra I want to do all the stuff because that's a, that's the stuff I'm good at right and mm. so about who, you
0: know, are, your, who about, are your heroes like who are you looking up to or who were the models for what you wanted to do at that time
1: you know I think I think John Williams was was, was obviously you know one of them sorry I uh, don't
0: I don't know oh, that name can you oh
1: John who John who John. um <laughs> That's gonna bite me in the ass, I'm sure, right? Um, but also, um, you know, Tan Dune, who had just you know come off of Croaching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*, uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed his stuff. Um, you know, because I was still trying to to, to, to latch on to uh, latch on to, to, to latch on to some of the academic stuff, and and tan Dune is is very much an art composer who dabbles in film yeah. music. Whereas, like right. you know, I, I think if I take a look at my career, I do a little bit of concert music, right? But I'm very much a film composer who dabbles into art music, right? So right. Um, so w- where was this going? This was going um, you asked me who were my influences so, you know, Tandoon was a big one um, you know I think I really enjoyed Hans um, you know, one of the big scores, that I think probably my favorite score is probably the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves score, that was Michael Kamen. Oh yeah. I was uh-huh. an it as a kid so I went to band camp as, as an actor, but it was the first time where I actually got challenged playing saxophone, and we were playing this this it was like a terrific arrangement of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Right? It was it was it was really like I still remember this arrangement to, to this day, and uh, and it's just like all these things of like like you know just like mel- great melody, great great rhythm, excitement, great drama. All this stuff just really grabbed me. And it, I just I love that sort of stuff. Right, like you know, Hans, Hans score to The Lion King, you know, um, uh, like those sort of things really resonated to me as a kid, and just because it sort of found that right balance of uh, that right balance of sophistication but accessibility. Mm. A, a lot of scores, I think, today, they freak You know, you have this great orchestra, but you kind of forget, like you know. Just some of those basic craft things, like orchestration, or like a melody, or or like like a good solid hook, right? You know, like, like a good thing that just lures you in. And I find that the scores that I love are the scores that just like you, you sing them over back and over and over again. Like you know, I really appreciate. Don't get me wrong. I really appreciate a great texture, a great uh, you know, a great texture, a great way of sustaining and drama, and all that stuff. But really, what 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 hooks me into a great score. It's just a great melody, a
0: great theme. I know that uh, for you, uh, mentorship, both uh, you as a mentor, but also the receipt of mentorship on your behalf has been very important in your career. How did you, or who were the people that sort of helped you on that track sort of while you were in and then post McGill to sort of find your way into this new, you know, uh, career that you were moving towards?
1: So. My, my, my fourth year of university, my, my prof, Sean Ferguson, um, he, you know, he knew that the film thing was sort of something going on. And this was at the time of, you know, the Guild of Canadian Film Composers that was so known back then. The GCFC was doing a big thing in Montreal, and my prof said, you should really go there and you should really talk to Pierre Daniels.
0: And just just for those listening that may not know who he is, what's what's his full name?
1: Oh, so Pierre Daniel wrote, uh, So Pierre Daniel and his last name R H E A U L T. He's he's won numerous Silicon awards. He's done lots of kids TV. Uh, the Smoggies, I think, was his big thing. Um, mm. So. Um, at the end of this, at the end of this session, and, and you know, it's very much a, a business session, which I, absolutely, you know, at the time I thought music publishing was like, you know, publishing sheet music, right? That's what I thought music publishing was, right? <laughs> um, but at the end of this, I just kind of say like, hey, um, you know, my prof Sean said I should really introduce myself to you, and kind, you know, I'm really interested in, in following this career path. And so anyway, so I got placed with Pierre Danielle and he got these short films that had like zero money, right? You know? um, and we actually, like, we went through the process of scoring these short films, right? And we actually hired like a student orchestra and he actually paid out of his pocket. Like it was like 50 bucks each musician or something like that. But we actually, you know, did that together. And, and that was sort of my, um, it wasn't my first experience scoring with orchestra or anything like that, but it was like sort of my first project that I got a chance to do that, you know, with, with Pierre Danielle. I, I think where Pierre Danielle really stands out to me as a mentor was the business side of things, right? You know, like I said, I thought music publishing was like cheap music publishing at the time, right? You know? Um and, 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 and just like, you know, any time that like I would have a contract question, I'd be able to call him up. You know, I would, I, you know and and Pierre Danielle introduced me to Victor, right? And then they also for all the guild programming, they they had engaged me as like the staff conductor for some of the Montreal orchestral sessions. And then eventually I took over those sessions and doing them I took over, you know, I started doing the Toronto sessions, you know, and, and doing the Toronto sessions. And, you know, just, just to have these mentors and, and Victor, Victor Davis, bless Victor, I love Victor to, to death, but Victor would just kind of like, you know, he, he just knew exactly where to zing me to get to get me on to get me, up, to, to get me <laughs> off my pompous high horse and to bring my bring my ego down to earth a little bit, right? And like, you know, yeah,
0: using that that shame that works so well
1: <laughs> exactly, right? And, and it, 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 it's funny because that, like, you know, just think that you you know, think that you couldn't, um things that you couldn't pay a million bucks for, right? But like, you know, like you're 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 in a you know, I'm in a session that's conducting and, and Victor Jeskel. You know, t- t- come over here, right? And he goes like, you know, want, If you want them to pay attention to you and they're falling off beat, you know, don't conduct larger. Your your, your thing, you know, you, you, your your thing is conduct smaller. They'll focus. Uh, they'll focus anymore, right? And he goes, yeah, oh, shit, right? You know, and then, like, yeah. so, so, those are the kind of things. Pierre Danielle, uh, you know, got me. You know, he 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 kind of got me onto the board of, of the screen composers because there vacancy, mm-hmm. and kind of showed showed me sort of the ropes a little bit. And then, you know, he had me, you know, being. In Montreal, like, I started off as sort of the coffee boy. Like, you know, I remember at these orchestral sessions, right, you know, just, like, bringing the big-ass crafts of, like, coffee. Like, those things are bloody heavy, right? You know, and, like, filling it up with water and, and, and all that stuff. I was very great, grateful when I could hand it off to other people, right? The, the thing that I really valued about Pierre Daniel, um, and, and this is something that I've taken in, into sort of my, my crew, that, like, you know, he always... He, he always paid for lunch, right? He always paid for lunch. Right. And I think that when, you know, I always make it, a, make, make it a thing to, to always to, to grab the bill, especially when like, you know, a young, a young composer comes to me and says, can I buy you lunch? Can I go for coffee in, in Toronto, in LA or whatever like that? And I always, you know, and, and some, like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they'll really insist and say, okay, well, if you're really going to insist, fine. But like, really like I, let me do this because I'm working and making money. But I think that, you know, the notion of paying it for, forward is very important to me as as, a, yeah. as as a person, as an individual, as a composer, as um, you know, as a leader in the community. Um, it, it's really important to me, and I just think that, like you know, if if I can give to someone what Pierre Daniel and Victor and all these other people that I've that I've uh, all these people that I've uh, managed to learn from. If I can give back just a fraction of what I've taken from them, then I've done I've done all right. You know, i yeah, you know I'm that's
0: good, great. So. so among our cohort, I think you have the most you, you you have this very interesting balance that not a lot of people have where you really are focused on the business side of what you do. Um and I read that you uh you know, part of the reason why you feel that you are successful is because of your resourcefulness and your entrepreneurial spirit. You actually went through what they call the SEB program or the self-employment program back in the day. Um, and of course you've taken, you know, you've taken some um some hints from Victor and from from Pierre Danielle about how to run a business, how to how to move ethically through, you know, your career. Um, what what is it mostly about like how has the business side of things, how do you think about that in terms of your composition career? I know like You have the, if I think about the words pizza and beer, you're the first person that comes to mind.
1: (laughs) Um, I I think what it really boils down to, it it really boils down to a desire to not starve. You know, it's like the survival mode. I remember Rob Duncan, uh, when I was at the ASCAP workshop, uh, I, I asked if I could go hang out at a studio and just like sit down and, um, and talk. And he, he said that it was just like, you know, there's one thing that if you have like a day job, right? Like, you know, if you're just kind of working and all your, all your basic needs are met, you're not going to go, you, you're not going, you know, you're not going to work as hard. You're not going to realize that like this F up is going to cost you a lot. Right. But all of a sudden that when you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, um, the next month and you don't have a job. It just makes you want that gig and want you to keep that money or figure out how to, how to be sufficient, how to be sustainable as a composer. It makes it that much more important. Right. And it it kind of puts you in the survival mode and you talk about the self employment program, right? So the self employment program. Uh, for those of you who don't know in Quebec at least, um, you got a small stipend and a small stipend for a year, but that stipend was enough for you to live on, right? And uh, you know you got healthcare and all that stuff like that. And that um, you what you had to do you had to write a business plan and you had to write a business uh, a business plan to talk about how you're going to make how are you going to make your business work. And you had to do sort of you know business classes for about a month, um, which were actually really quite good. Uh, they weren't it wasn't like going to uh, school for business, right? It wasn't like that. But it was just very basic, like you know how to market yourself. Right. How to, like one of the most valuable things was accounting, right? Like just basic bookkeeping, a balance sheet, like how to read a balance sheet. Like, you know, all these three things have to equal up, you know. Um, and, and those things were incredibly valuable. Frankly, like, you know, applying for the self employment program, that's where this is going. Applying for the self employment program was another way for me to make it sustainable right? It was another way for mm-hmm. okay, I'm not making money right now, enough money to hold off it. But if all of a sudden I'm making like, you know, what, $1,200 a month through this program, then, you know, that $6,000 I got for that online video game that I'm doing, I can now do that to buy a new Mac pro instead of paying for my rent. Right. And there, so, there's
0: th- the strategy. Ah, yeah. now I see That's, that's interesting. That's great. So,
1: so, so it, it, you know, it, it was just—it's it, purely about sustainability, right? And then finding mm. finding these things. Yeah.
0: Sorry. No, that being, was- hu- being hungry is uh, is a is a requirement uh, in this field for sure. Yeah. So I want to start jumping into some of the projects and some of the interesting stories about. You know, what you've worked on and, and how you did it. So looking at your IMDB and, and and your credits list, you know, you're cutting your teeth in the early two thousands and you're doing a lot of shorts and some TV movies and here and there. And then all, all along comes a movie in two thousand seven called Just Buried. And you're working with writer-director Chaz Thorne. Yeah. Um so there are a couple of interesting stories that come out of this. First of all, I mean, you're talking about your first really big gig and yeah. the pressure that you were under. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what it was like working with Chaz, how you developed the music and the sound for that, Yeah. And what some of the challenges were.
1: Yeah. Um, so so Just Buried with my second feature film. Uh a film called Summerhood was my first feature film. But Summerhood ended up releasing later than 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 uh than Just Buried. But after I, I finished Summerhood, I was kind of like in this like, okay, phone's not ringing. What the, what the, what the, what the, what the. And um Uh, you know I had I had recently won an award at the Atlantic Film Festival for best score for this short that I'd done so on a whim at the last minute you know I said I'm going to go to Halifax I'm going to go pick up this trophy right and it was it was easy trip Uh, it was but it it was a lot of fun and, and so a lot of a lot you know that sort of explain why there's a lot of projects that come from the Atlantic region because I just continue developing this this these credits from there right And so after I' finished after I'd finished summerhood, I started just cold calling people off of the delegates I was like I need a gig and I'm, you know a gig's not coming to me by just sitting in my butt twiddling my thumbs right? So uh, one of the guys that I and this is at the time of like before SoundCloud or before RealCrafter or anything like that, where that you know I sent physical CDs, right? And so I just said like, hey, um, dear so and so, I was just going through the AFF list and I just thought, hey, you know, I just did this film and I would love to send you a reel. Can I send you a reel? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just having the chance of thinking about music that day, right? And um, and Lo and behold, uh, he's like, Yeah, send me a reel. So, you know, I didn't send reels just indiscriminately to people. I, you know, if they're going to at least respond back and say, yeah, Yes, I'll have a reel and, you know, I'll take a reel. And it's, it's hilarious because there's so many people that I meet now who are like, You know, I think I have a CD of yours somewhere. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> You know, the, 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 um, the bags that you get. Like, what, are we, what do we call them?
0: Yeah, swag bags. Swag. Thank
1: you. Thank you. You know, and, and these, and, and these, I, you know, I showed these reels because it was quite genius. My my graphic designer, I said like I have no money, like I can't go do jewel cases, right, and all this stuff. So we found these like white things, that we we color photocopy cigar band that we just kind of glued on to the thing, and we just you know, and and I and we put a la- like put like a color label on top of the uh, on top of the CD. And it looked actually okay, pretty sharp, right? And we just like everything nice. was very do it yourself, but it looked it looked it didn't look horribly ghetto. But anyway, I sent right. to, I sent this over to Chaz. And he really liked it, right? He really liked it. And He was at the time in production of two films: one as writer-producer, and the other as writer-director-producer. Uh, the writer or the writer-producer um, one, um, you know, they had already had a they already had a composer for that. Um, but the um, the other film, *Just Buried*, was Chad's, you know, feature directorial be- debut. And um you know they had some big name Hollywood producers attached to it, uh, John Watson Pendentium. Uh, you know we'd love to we'd love to have you on board. and I didn't know until after that Chad really fought really hard to get me on because they're like this guy oh, this kid this kid has done nothing like like I had literally done nothing right like I'd done one feature film at least I had that feature film right? But uh, but Chels was like, no, I want him. I stand by him. And quite frankly, Tom Newman was too expensive for them, anyways, right? Another <laughs> <laughs> uh, joke that John always used to say. And, and so Pen and John, I mean, just to give you an idea of sort of their, their pedigree, you know, they they had produced things like Backdraft and Blow, uh, Backdraft oh, and wow. Blown Away and Robin and Princess like these early '90s movies, right? And I just I remember the call, John John Watson calls me. I was in Atlanta with Gifty. She was doing a. My wife was. Uh, in medical school, and she was doing a rotation at the CDC in Atlanta, and uh, and John called. He's like, "Yeah, so I'm, I'm just wondering, what do we need to put in for a music editor budget?" And then I just kind of laughed at him and I go, "Like, John, this is Canada. We can't afford music editors, right? <laughs> you know." Um, <laughs> um, we we spotted the film in person. You know, I, I flew down to Halifax to do that, and. Um, they just said like, we don't, we want something unique. We don't want it to sound like any other score. Like this needs to, this, it's a dark comedy. It needs to be quirky. It needs to be funny. Uh, it needs to be all this, and I'm going like, oh my God. Like, the, like there's so much bloody pressure. Like, you know, like we're not locked yet. So just why don't you go and like, do some thematic stuff and bring it back to us. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, yeah,
0: my the, the God. thing that they, the, the no director ever says to any composer, I want the score to sound like nothing else that's ever come before. <laughs> But I also don't want to be freaked out or confused by what you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, thread that needle. Yeah. So, so one of the interesting
1: things about just bearing, so, so I sat with the editor, Chris Cooper, for, for a day, and, uh, and we just we just started putting in temp music in there, right? Like, like, like it was interesting because it, I was helping with the temp process, and we just, we, we, we just put a whole bunch of stuff that we thought was, was, was working really well. And the common thread of it was that it was very percussive, with a lot of plucked things. And pit stuff and all that, or just like like hitting and all that. So you go, okay, well, what what instruments are plucking and hitting and all that mm-hmm. stuff? Like, okay, well, harpsichord, pizzicato strings, harp, celeste, you know, cymbalum, like you know, hammered dulcimer. Like, I just I just get just throw this. throwing all the stuff in my into my sequencer and just kind of coming up with like it's gotta sound unique it's gotta sound unique it's gotta sound unique and they just came up with something and that became the palette for just buried and they loved it they loved it it was the hmm. most terrifying like you know it was like three days like why the fuck aren't they getting back to me why the hell are they getting back to me and then and then and then, and then, and then chad is sorry we haven't gotten back to you, but we just want to say we loved it we loved it i'm like
0: oh good oh wow. thank god oh thank god oh thank
1: god right Josh Josh Tinsbury, who uh, my good friend and who's the recording engineer on that one, uh, he was still a student at McGill when he, when I brought him on to do this, and he 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 showed his microphone list to uh, his professor Martha uh, Martha De Francisco, and it was like. You know, xylophone or so like marimba and, and vibraphone and harpsichord and piano and celeste and and all this stuff like that. Like eating all the stereo pairs. And Marty was like, certainly he's not using all of those at once. And I like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, kind of am, yeah. You know, but it was it was it was just a, you know fantastic experience. You know, went to Prague to record that and uh, and you know it, that that score was very pivotal in, in, for me because that it. Um, it got me my agent, right? You know, right. Um, John, uh, we're, we're sitting at the mix in Halifax. and John looks at me and goes, do you have an agent? And I go, like, no. Uh, you know, who should be, you should meet Michael Gorfing, right? And it's... I kind of go, I, I kind of do this, right? And I go, like, you yeah. can get me a meeting with Michael Gorfing. And, uh, and
0: for those who don't know... Michael Gorfane is of the Gorfain Schwartz agency, one of the biggest composer agencies yeah. on the planet.
1: Well, they wrote that guy who were we talking about earlier, John, John, Tony, John uh, Johnny somebody. Johnny somebody, yeah. Johnny I don't know. Somebody. yeah. Um, and, and, Anyone who knows me, and probably you know, eighty percent of the people who are listening to this podcast will, will know me somehow. Know that I'll 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 smooth a brick wall if it'll get me a gig, right?
0: <laughs> and, and, Indeed, you will. And and, and 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 here this
1: offer of like getting in a, like an in into an agency just like came completely unsolicited, right? Like you know, completely unsolicited. And I think what it was for me, it was like you know, um, you, you just have to do good work. You have to do good work right um, uh, I, I think that there are I've been really fortunate in my life that I've just had like a plethora of fantastic projects to work on right you know I've had a couple of I've had a couple of projects that I'm like yeah yeah you know I'm not gonna shed in tears them this is done or, or, or and it's not even like it's not even the fact that you know the project was good the personality sometimes you know mm, right yay, yay, yeah whatever like that right um, but I think you know, the one thing that, that you try to do is you just always try to make sure that whatever, whatever it is that you do, if you do good work, people will always speak well about that. Right. And that's the best, that's the best, best word of mouth that you can get.
0: That's great. So So that, that output going call from John that got you the, uh, the, the meeting with Gorfane was a good outbound call. Uh, Moving on to another gig, you got a very terrifying inbound call at one point where producer said, "I've got good, bad, and terrifying oh. news. Which would you like first? So I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Can okay. you give us the back the backstory on yeah. on that where you were in front of the nation, yeah, um, and, a, and a pretty pretty uh, tight spot.
1: So so Josh Josh Tinsbury, who we um, you're talking about, in my share that I brought to Prague with me, um, he. Um, he was working at. Uh, well, he started working at CTV at the time as one of their as one of their uh, mixers mixers, and he also did some work in. Uh, well, he mostly actually did work in sort of creative app development, like like technology. He he could explain it a hell of a lot better than I could, but he was a very talented individual. And he said, "You really should meet Michael Noonan." I'm like, "Okay, Michael Noonan." Um, you know, and so so Michael was sort of the 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 head of Host sound at CTV, and he introduced me to all sorts of interesting people there, including people at TSN. Um, the gentleman there at the time, Eric Nischwander, um, just a really good friend, really great producer, but just you know, um, just someone who all really looked out for me. And so I sort of got into the I sort of got into the um, rigmarole at TSN for the little featurettes, and it's one little featurette. For the Vancouver Olympics, called Journey to Vancouver, I sort of blew them out of the water because it, I had I literally had like no budget, you know, and we did a remote recording overseas again, and uh, and we we just gave them this orchestral score, and again it goes back to whole like blow them away, and just to like give them good work speaks really highly. So fast forward, you know, a few months later, they're like, okay, we really want to redo the theme to NHL and TSN, right? And like, oh, this is this is cool, cool, right? And so I had done this the 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 version that they had was, was sort of you know nineties like you know electric drums sort of you know um and so so we had i had given them this sort of dark this dark like um, gladiator turned a major into minor and then like you know all this kind of weird stuff there's a sort of like this this punk rock sort of thing, and mm-hmm. they loved and 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 punk rock orchestra thing and and, and they loved it, and then all of a sudden. I'm on the train coming back from, uh, I think it was at some sort of guild meeting thing, right? Uh, no, it was, it, it was, it was um, cultural diversity or something. I was sitting in for Victor, I think, coming back and train uh, from Ottawa to Montreal and my phone was exploding. It's just like, you know, uh, CTV by right to the Hockey Night in Canada theme song. And I'm going like,
0: Fuck. fuck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that means, that, like, so, so. What I was thinking—that means, like, they're not going to use my, they're not going to use my theme anymore. Like, they're
0: not right? Gonna use this yeah. And I'm you like, just lost oh. your gig.
1: I just lost my gig. Right? I'm like, God damn! Right. And then I'm on the train, and then Noosh calls me, and he goes, um, "I've got good news, bad news, and terrifying news. Which one do you want first <laughs> And I <I'm> just so <laughs> like, "Ah!" And he's like, well, the bad news is. Or, or wait, wait. The bad news is that we just bought the rights to Hodgkin in Canada and we, uh, you know, we don't need your theme. Good news is we still want to work with you. The terrifying news is that we want you to rework the Hodgkin in Canada theme song, right? And so <laughs> I am, I, and, and I just kind of go, oh my God. And I'm like, you know, I am this 26 year old kid, right? And I'm kind of going, like, uh, uh-huh. right? And, you know, like at the time, like this spat between CBC and Dolores Claim and, you know, bless her, was, was very public. Like, it was, like, on the front page yeah. of the Globe and Mail. And I'm trying to explain this yeah. to my agent, like, Maria, the LA it's like, yeah, so I have to redo the theme for Hockey and Ken You know, she's like, okay, so you're rearranging a theme. And and, she, and she's like, uh, so what's the big deal? Like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> this is like, if I, if I fuck this up, <laughs> the country will hate me. The country will hate me, right? And, um... And so anyway, so we, we um, it was, you know, it was by far, at that time, the biggest project that I'd ever worked on, you know, the, the budget of just, you know, hiring essentially what was the Toronto Symphony and everything but name. Um, you know, we didn't buy the name right, but we hired the TSO, all the players and, and all the stuff and, and and just like the logistics of all that as this 26, 27 year old And then all of a sudden, like, you know, telling TSN or telling TSN and like, you know, negotiating the contract. You know, you're dealing with like the, the vice president of legal affairs for CTV and you're like this like kid, right? And you're going like, um, I really need you to wire that money to my account because that the trucks, you know, the recording truck is not going to go there unless we get that. And this whole thing we're doing in like forty eight hours is gonna like burst, right? And it's, it it amazes me how how fast uh corporate Canada will work when you light a fire under their ass, like saying this whole thing will be canceled (laughs) if you don't wire this money into my account, right, you know, and, and, you know, and it was just like, you know, it was remarkable to have a, the, 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 the resources that we had to do that gig, right. We brought in a mobile truck, we rented the concert hall, we rented the T, we hired the TSO, you know, we, we did all of this stuff, right. And, and you know, and, and to do these sort of arrangements, and then so we, we redid the arrangement of the original 19, uh, I think it's 19, the, the 60s, I can't remember when it was, but you know, the original Doris claimant thing. And then I got to have a little bit of fun and do all these sort of like mm-hmm. variations on them. Like, I did this like cowboy version, I did this another like this punk rock variation, I did this like you know, um, uh, I did this James Bond
0: version, and it was actually that, really that was cool. my favorite. The dark, mysterious James Bondy version. The, that the great.
1: James, you know, and yeah. and I, I think when we were doing the, the punk rock version, Mark at the, the senior VP at TSN, um, you know, I was like busy conducting and all that stuff. So he walks into the live wire truck, and uh, and and the orchestra's just not feeling this thing. Like, they're just not getting it right. And he like the first thing he's walking on, they're just like. I thought F is <laughs> like, what are we spending? Like oh, you know, no. 200 grand, it all worked out and everything was great, right? But um, but it was, it, it was certainly um, grace under pressure. But what, what, what I will say is this, um, you know, to, to tie everything up with a nice bow, as I, I like to do, um, whatever, however big the orchestra is or however small the ensemble is, there are certain tenets of scoring to picture that remains same, the same. No matter how small or how big your ensemble is, you know that you're prepared with click track. That you have your parts clean and and fresh. That you 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 have a good team in place. That you know how to produce someone, either you or someone you trust and know how is producing from the booth. And that you know someone who you trust and know if it's not yourself is conducting from up there. You have a good players and and also just, um, quite frankly, like you know, don't be a jerk right? Like, you know, don't be a dick. Um,
0: yeah, imagine that.
1: You know, uh, when I when I was teaching, co-teaching film scoring at McGill with Pierre Danielle, um, it was student musicians, and so, it, 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 you know, we, we gave them like a 20-piece orchestra or something like that, the students, and, and I, I, I made them conduct, and then I would kind of, you know, be that irritating guy who would be like hovering around going, you know, like, ah, you should, you know, and it it amazed me how, when you're up there, you kind of forget about the human relations with people. Mm. And like, like 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 for me, a big thing is how are you how are you asking like how are you um, how like like it's one thing to say hey violins are out of tune yeah right it's another thing to say like hey um let, you know can we measure fifty three let's just check our intonation it's a little wide there can you just you know check that out there. And then people, yep. little, and and one puts people on edge, and one puts people like invites them to collaborate, right? And I think people yeah. people forget about that, right? Like no one likes no one likes to be told that they suck, you know, mm-hmm. in front of all their colleagues or peers. And everyone wants to do a good job, right? And I, you know, one of my students, Rachel Rachel Kid, said like you know, you know, as a player, I just want you to be direct with me and tell me like, tell me what's wrong. I'm saying absolutely. I'm not saying beat around the bush. I'm not saying like sugarcoat it. All I'm saying is find a way that doesn't put them on edge. Because the minute that the, the minute that you those people aren't on your team, the minute that everything slows down, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, it costs you money, right? Like if absolutely. Those, if, if those players aren't invested in what you're trying to do, then it's going to cost you money, right? And 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 and
0: um, and potentially your sound. Because if people aren't happy or uh, they feel you know in absolutely. any way alienated or dejected, absolutely. there goes the beautiful sound of your music.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. so and, and it comes back to you know the, the whole pizza and beer thing, right? When I when I used to do when I started doing film scores, um, you know, I, I so I did this little course at NYU, and then I knew with Pierre, and then I did thing with Pierre Danielle, and then it's all about like finding the click tracks like manually like with a click book and all. Like I had no idea what a DAW was, and blah blah blah, but. Uh, you know, I would ask... One could um, argue
0: you still don't really know. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> there's, there's,
0: there's, there's no
1: argument. There's no argument about that. You just... <laughs> but you, you know, you, you have, you know, like, you turn these clicks, and I was the only one wearing headphones, and the click track was coming up with my Dr. Beat metronome, and those just like, it's crazy, mm-hmm. right? You know, Um but at the end of the session, and, and those sessions really taught me, like, you know, when, when Pro Tools breaks down and you've got 20 people who you've invited to go come do this thing and you have, you're not paying them, right? Yeah. And and it's yeah. just like the only thing they're doing, like, is like is pizza and beer. You know, you learn how to work quickly with, okay, so Pro Tools crashed. Fine, let's just do it without Pro Tools and let's rehearse this. Like, the thing of death in a recording session is when um, people are just sitting there and they, they, they sit, sit there, they start looking at their phones. They they, they just like start slouching. They start reading and they're just not doing anything. Like that's when people start disengaging, and I think yeah. the goal as a conductor and as a uh, as as quite frankly a pro- a project manager is to keep that level of engagement high to keep the energy high, so so that there will people are willing to. Put forward their best, right? And sometimes yeah. that means, like, okay, well, everyone's kind of getting sleepy. We're not going to do that long hold up queue now. We're going to go throw an action cue in there because they're going to sit up straight and they're going to shit. They have to engage again, right? And, yeah. and so it, it's about reading those sort of things.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, celebrating its 40th year in 2020. The SCGC is a national association of professional music composers and producers for film, television, and media whose mission includes promoting the music, status, and rights for film, television, and media composers in Canada. Special thanks to the SoCan Foundation for financial support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. And now, back to our show. And you're really you're a master of it, and I've learned a lot. Uh, pretty much everything I ever do when I work with uh, ensembles is pretty much I've learned from you, I would say. And I've got many documents from watching you and from your workshops and stuff that I always go back to. Um, I wanted to move on and uh, talk about the first time you got to go back to China without your parents for a documentary <laughs> called The Lost Years. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that project and what it meant to you.
1: You, you know... It, it's funny, with all this uh, racial strife that's going on in, in the U.S., um, you know, in this job, you don't really get a chance to, um, as much as I'd like to, celebrate your your, your roots, your cultural roots, your identity. Mm. And and I think growing up in suburban Edmonton, as you are, are very well aware of, you know, at the time that we were growing up with, uh, anyways, suburban Edmonton uh, does not did not look the way it does now, right? It was mm. very, um, quite frankly, very white. You know, um, you know, the, you know. I think my group of friends in high school, I was maybe, you know, one of a handful of people of color there, and um, you know, I've never been a flaunt in your face like rah rah I'm Chinese kind of guy, but I've always been very proud proud of that heritage. And I, I, I had always wanted a project that would kind of allow me to explore that, right? Um, and, and in a sense, that the Lost Years score is something that I think is, um, it, it, it's something that 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 is almost like this, this musical reflection of who I am as a person, right? Because it's at its core, it is a Western score. It is a Western score. It is it is an orchestral score, um, but it has flavors of Chinese culture to it. You know, we had a pipa, we had an erhu, And I just remember being in the studio there. Um, and, you know, we had, we, we ended up tracking the arrow and the pipa after the fact, but we we, we had them in live for a couple of tracks. So we brought them in for the last hour of one session. And um, and so she, the arrow player is sitting behind me and she's coming in and I'm just I'm conducting. And then she comes and you know, you. you you turn to cue her, and just like this, gorgeous sound just melts your heart, right? Just like, just, just like, wow! Okay, like I get, I get goosebumps thinking of that moment right there and then because it's just like those are the moments that you live for, right? Like as a as, as a, yeah. as a film composer, just something where you just go like, "Fuck, that's so good!" Right? You know, and <laughs> uh, and and so so to be able to go back and do that and to kind of craft that sort of you know um, Western score with with Chinese elements and like you know to work with those sort of players you know was just really a treat you know um, uh, very very grateful to to G the uh, the director who literally Googled edmonton chinese composer right? edmonton. oh wow and there and there you go like ta-da my
0: name my name comes who up. knew that like, would be a, a valuable niche eh? yeah, there, there you go right so and, when you're working on a show like that yeah. uh or a documentary like that and you're 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 working in china and you're writing you know traditional western well i shouldn't say traditional but a western style score with traditional chinese music elements to it did that ever like give you pause and and make you reflect on what your own personal sound is? And also, like, how do you think about that? I mean, no, that's a really difficult thing to talk about, like what your sound is, but do you have a sense of that? Can you describe what your sound is? No. <laughs> no. I, and that's um, a fair answer.
1: No. Um, listen, I, I, I think I've been very fortunate in my career, and I, I think not just fortunate, but I've also... Very much made deliberate choices in my career to be the orchestra guy, right? I think that, and 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 it, you know, for a lack of a better term, that's my sound. Is I'm the orchestra guy. Um, even even sort of my electronic scores, um, and I'm not talking about like you know like fake orchestra scores. I'm talking about like non like there there's no orchestra in there, you know, with yeah. with uh, with with whatever samples or whatever you do. I take a a very classical approach to the orchestration you know to it and not or, you know by in terms of like you know how do I fill up the harmonies how do i you know what has a melody what um you know what did it so you know if if you're to describe my sound you know I think you know my my sound is
0: I'm an orchestra guy you know the, if, if I were to take a stab at it, uh, <laughs> and you can tell me you to, like to, to but, go uh-oh. home, I would say <laughs> there's, there's a kind of very direct, uh, emotional, very um, hopeful and, and uh, yeah, an uplifting sound to your music hmm. um, that doesn't, you know, you're never kind of tiptoeing around the fact that you're trying to make something that's just truly beautiful. That would be the sort of way that i would most easily describe i don't know if that's offensive to you or not no
1: no not at, all, <laughs> not at all not at all not um Ah, oh, interesting you know you know it, it's always really interesting having people describe your music because it, sometimes it's just you know it's you're like really you saw that um
0: right of course you know yeah. but
1: yeah huh. i'll buy that so, for a dollar
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can have it for free but we'll do the dollar just for legal purposes Yes, yes. Your work with uh, Niobe Thompson has garnered you two uh, Canadian Screen Awards, both in 2016 and 2019, and you're also nominated in 2016 for an International Film Music Critics Award. That that sounds gosh darned impressive. Um, and those, of course, are for the gigantic uh, in scope, in every way possible, both what's on the screen, how it was made, and how you produced uh, the gorgeous music that accompanies the films, uh, The Great Human Odyssey and Equus. Um, how did you begin working with Niobe? How did that uh, that um, relationship start?
1: so um, with, with last year that we just discussed um, last year's uh, Kenda had a co-director and co-producer uh, Tom Radford uh, also based in Edmonton and um, and Tom and Niobe at the time were uh, production partners were business partners and so Niobe one day was in uh, he was in the cutting room just kind of like saying, hey, what's going on here? And um, and he said, it's like, oh, okay. This is nice but damn, that music's really good. <laughs> like, you know, who the, who the heck did your music, right? And, um, you know, and lo and behold, like, you know, the connection was made. So we were both nominated for Canadian Screen Awards. I was nominated for Lost Years and he was nominated for the perfect runner. We both lost that year, uh, we both lost. Uh, but we, he said, like, I would love to meet you. I would love to have a drink with you. And so we're at the, uh, we're at the Westin in, uh, in Toronto and we're having a drink. He's like, let me tell you about this project that I have. It's, I want to tell the story of humans, right? Like, you know, it was called, uh, at, at the time the working title was, was human, the miracle of the species, right? And so I'm kind of going like, wow, this sounds really cool. Not really kind of, you know, and I think the, the thing about uh, documentaries or, and, and, and especially like sort of big national history documentaries is that you don't really fully, it's very hard to describe, like and not being a science person, it's very hard to grasp what it is and what the narrative is going to be until you actually see see like actually see and in, in see the picture, right? And he says like, right. all I know is that I want an orchestra. And I go, um dude, you are a Canadian uh you're a Canadian documentary. Like, you know, like 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 you're like you know that's going to be on CBC. Like you're not gonna have the money to do this. <laughs> you know, like but like you like no, no, no just tell you, next time you're in Edmonton, we'll go have lunch. Just do some homework for me. Tell me, tell me how much you think you need for it. I'm going like, okay. Never going to have freaking money. <laughs> that's right. Fine. We'll hear you. We have to do it then. Can, you know, cause I I, I, I talked to him about, you know, well, you could do it overseas, you know, but, you know, the CBC thing, you have to do it here. And, um, and he's like, just come up with a budget, you know, and then let's just see if we're... So I, I, I gave him a number and, and, and I said, you're going to need at least, and is not including my fee, like at least 100000 more 125 and you're like, yeah that sounds about right yeah and i, I kind of make my, my jaw drop and i kind of get like you have you you have the money for that like yeah uh, you know and and um and says, yeah don't worry about it we'll did, did it you
0: work. feel like oh wow the scope of this like the vision he has yeah if he's thinking about that and he's thinking like that in terms of the budget and what he's trying to produce did you go this is going to be huge
1: well it didn't it didn't hit me until I saw, um, until I saw the Russians, right? So right. And it, it took him like, you know, it took him further, like, you know, this conversation was two years out, right? This conversation about humans was two years out. And so he, he brings me into the cutting room and he showed me Russia does this, it's this just a stunning, stunning, stunning uh, uh, thing of these, of the Siberian um, indigenous warriors jumping across ice floes. In the Arctic, right? These are just raw. they have not color corrected. It's not cut, edited, or anything. And I'm just like, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, "Like, that's amazing." And they go, "How the, how the hell did you shoot that, right? It's like a dolly yeah. shot, like in the middle of the middle of freaking Siberia, right? Like Iceland, and yeah. Siberia, and like it's, it's just you didn't. I didn't realize how holy crap. Like, like, I think it was at that moment that you go, "I get it now. I get it." You know, um, and and that's also the moment that we said, like you know, I at risk of sounding like a pompous ass, right? Um, <laughs> which, which happens quite often, I assure you, um, you. You you realize, like you know what, this is going to be huge. How can we, how can we do this? How can we make this? into something that's bigger than just a film score. And that sort of worked, right. quite frankly, where the idea of coming up with human odyssey in concert and, and then, you know, echoes in concert and all this stuff. Cause like, you know, we're investing all this money into this music. It just would be a shame if it dies on, on or not dies but it only lives in, in the film and our soundtrack album. Right. And, right. Um, and so we, we said like, let's, I, I, I floated the idea tonight. He's like, "You are freaking crazy. Let's try it, right?" And um, so we brought in one of my friends, Erica Beattie, Who um, Erica, uh, I had met doing when I was, I was working with the Atlantic Film Festival, uh, uh, and um, and um, she was she was the CEO of Symphony of Nova Scotia at the time. And so we had come up with these director composer mentorship programs, where where the Symphony donated service and we put, picked four filmmakers and four composers and they got, a, they got a recording session with the orchestra, right? So that's how Erica and I knew each other. And she had gotten out of the orchestra world and I said, hey, Erica, you're going to hate me, but I'm going to come drag you back to the orchestra world, right? And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and we started doing a feasibility test. Like, you know, how how can we do this? Because, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're a Holly, you know, if you're Planet Earth in concert or Disney in concert, something like that. But, you know, it's another thing with... Um, with it's another thing when you're just like you know uh, great human is, is fantastic and, and it's fantastic but the, you know these are small productions in comparison to what the BBC or what Disney is doing right so you know we had done some homework we figured out what it was what we needed to do and you know like, like you know we brought in Harrison Lee, who uh, who used to be my assistant, but he helped us, uh, you know, figure the technical solutions for everything. And we're, you know, we're still learning a lot about how to do this stuff, right? But just the opportunity to be able to, I mean, uh, I gotta say, like, it, when when you do something that's great, um, you know, when you're so proud of the score, and then you get to relive it a second time with an orchestra and choir, it's just it, it it's. It's unbelievable. Like it, it, it's for a lack of a better term, like it's a composer. It, it's it, it, it's really a composer's dream come come true, right? Like it, it's just yeah. like you know, you get to you get to sit there and like you're conducting, and you have an orchestra and you have a choir, and like quite frankly, like you know, you're, you're generally tracking a lot of stuff, so you never really experience a full thing all at once. You know, coming coming at you, and to be able to experience it all at once is just amazing. And so anyways, that was kind of went a long way all around, but back to back to human Odyssey it was um it was a dream project it was a dream project
0: Some of my favorite stories about that are you and Niobe and how you work together and, <laughs> and the amazing thing is how that actually comes through in the behind the scenes because you do have this kind of funny almost like old old married couple way of interacting <laughs> with one another. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned was that uh, Niobe wasn't a big fan of complex melodies. He did like, in the end, you found out he liked melodies, but also he had a certain way of giving you feedback. Uh, What, what was that all about? Well, so
1: when we, when we, so when we did uh, humans, the human was human and Equus were our three episodes. Right. And we had roughly about the same time. We had about seven and a half weeks to do the three episodes, right. From spotting session to recording session. And there took a little time on the end to do post. But um, it took us for human, it took us four weeks to get through episode one and then three and a half weeks to get through episodes two and three, right? Wow. And yeah. and, 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 and that's because that we were still finding, we were still kind of working through our relationship, right? We we're still trying to figure this out. Um, and it, it's funny because, that you know, Niobe is is um, he He knows what he wants, right? He, he's actually, like he, he's, he's a fantastic collaborator, right? Because like, he everything you want from a, everything that you want from a director, you want him to be respectful, but you want him to not spill, like not be in love with the temp music, but you want him to be able to spill out, like, a, you know, emotionally what he wants. Like to the point, like his spotting notes were so detailed. We didn't actually have to go through an actual spotting session Right oh, wow. to, to to act like, 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 like just like the notes were just like bang on right and you know so I would I would give stuff on and he would say things like yeah this sort of sounds like the U.S. Marines invading like the, you know like the, he, he, he 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 like isn't pretty like you know like pretty like yeah this is yeah you know uh, I'm trying to I, you know uh, like this there's uh, this one part in where we're in the Philippines like this is it's just uh, oh what was the word that he used I should have looked these up before it but like. Like they were like you know kind of asshole things to say, but he knew that he could, <laughs> but, but he sort of knew that he could kind. Of, you know, we had that relationship, the relationship that we're reaching. And I, mm-hmm. I actually, I actually joked with, him, oh, one of them like, yeah, that sounds like autumn in America, right? I'm like, oh, fuck you, fuck you, like autumn <laughs> in America, right? Like, you know, meanwhile, it, it's like this, like, uh, uh like this, this Didn't you? Didn't you tell
0: thing? you had to put your big boy pants on or something that affect yeah. like were silly? Really- <laughs> This <laughs> is like really kind of direct stuff. Yeah. I guess he found that shame button that works with you so right, well, right?
1: Right on, right on. But I think of,
0: it' all, It I, all comes back to that.
1: It does, it does. But but like he, he, he knows how to get the best out of his team. It's just like, you know, we, you know, both projects were difficult. Like they were yeah. not easy, but yeah. also to have someone who has a faith and trust and, and quite frankly, where the resources isn't an issue. Like, you know, where it's like, you know, I don't need to worry about, it. like, you know, to give you an idea with, with human, uh, I had budget for a 45 minute episode, I would budget about 20 minutes of music per episode, about halfway through about week four or seven and a half, I go, Niobe, we have a problem here. Episode one was 30 minutes of music. And it looks like we're in episode two. And it looks like it's a booty 30 minutes. Like, you know, we're talking about 50% more music than yeah. what I had budgeted for. So we need, and, and like, and, and of course, this isn't like you're at a recording studio where you just book more time the day afterwards, right? You know, this is, this is a concert hall where we are in at the state and we're out at the state. And then you have the union contracts and he's like, okay, I hear you, I'll call you back. Let me find some more money, right? and 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 you know, he just said, "All right, so what we can do. I pulled money from here. I pulled money from there to do that. And just to have someone that really has that that much respect for the music and for the process
0: it's you know, literally antithetical to most stories that you hear about this kind of yeah, stuff where you absolutely. know, however much it costs to make the movie, you've got that much money again, for the advertising budget. No. And if yes. you ever suggested that maybe the music could need a little bit more massaging or a little help from the budget, there's no way you can find that there's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So and, that's, and that's a big vote of confidence. It is,
1: it is, but, but you know, it's a vote of confidence, but it's also just a testament, I think, to, to Niobe as a, as, as a creative visionary. Right? Yes. Like, you know, he has, he has an idea of what he wants and he knows that he's got to spend money for it, and he knows that he's got to treat people right. You know, like, like you know, like I I I feel really blessed to count Naomi as not just a collaborator but just as a really good friend, right? Like just like you know, we've 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 had many drinks and many dinners together, and just hung out and just like you know, I feel I know him very well. He knows me very well, and um, and and to have that sort of symbiotic relationship is just like that that that's what you live for, right? That that's and to have yeah. someone just say like, thank you, like you know, like this is great, thank you, like that's
0: that's amazing, yeah. So I've been on planes with you where you've been um, madly writing, not, not not only just like figuring out some parts for the violin, first violins on some cue or fixing some error in the copying, but also just writing cues that are going to go up on the stand the next day uh, in under 24 hours. How do you... I, and I mean, especially in the case of, of massive undertakings like The Great Human Odyssey and Equus, where you, again, as you said, you're booking a concert hall. You've got massive, you know, and, and members of a of an ensemble that aren't necessarily used to playing to picture or to click track and all this yeah. other. How do you manage the insane amount of stress and the, the amount of um, pressure that's on you to perform in those moments yeah. when the clock is ticking and you can literally just watch the dollars... Just draining away. How do you how do you manage all that?
1: Um, well, first of all, it's a good time to say thank you to my wife, Gifty, for putting up with all my shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, 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 she says I can be quite nasty when I like really under stress. Um, but and, and she's amazing for all the support that she gives me. But um, I, I think the big thing is to keep to keep in mind the big picture, right? That you have to be at a certain point here. You know, hell or high water, sort of thing, and you have to you have to recognize early on enough when you need help. No one's gonna do it all by themselves, and you need to you need to recognize early in, like you know, that you have to say like, hey, you know, like you got to, you know, you got to get help. You got to get help, right? And I think for someone who's sort of classically trained, like I used to want to do the, I want to orchestrate everything. I want to do it myself. It's just like. For seven and a half weeks to do 110 minutes of music, there's just no way you can do that, right? There's just no way. And like you know, going back and forth. And so I think that you have to find a workflow that allows you to keep control and to live with yourself as a creative, but also allows you to say, like, you know, um, it allows you to keep your sanity and get sleep, right? Um, one of the things that I will say, and anyone who knows me or my music, that I am not an engineer, I cannot mix my way out of a box. Right, like that, that and, stuff. and for me, that's great because that's an easy thing for me to say in my workflow, especially if I'm doing an all synth thing. To say, you know, I'm going to pass that and the delivery part of it to my engineer, and boom, there you go, you've got a huge chunk that's over there. Um, orchestration, I can pass something off to over there, right? You know, um, cleaning up MIDI mockups boom, pass it off to my assistant, you know, uh, bouncing up stems, boof, you know, what can I, you know, at, at the core, what, what is it about this that makes it my music? And then, how much of it realistically can you can you keep doing it yourself, and how much do you have to pass off to other people? And I think that you um, you really have to recognize early, and and you won't recognize until like you know a couple projects in um, when you're in shit, like when you're yeah. when 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 you're when you're in trouble. Um, you know, I have I have a new assistant right now. Well, he's not that new, but I have an assistant document right now, and he helped me on this last documentary that I did. You know, we had an orchestra as well, too. And on our debrief, I said, like, like you know, because I, I think that he wanted to do all the orchestration on his own. And, you know, we ended up having to call in people at the last minute. And so, and, and that, you know, everything worked out and it was fine. But but the debrief, I said, like, I would rather you... You need to recognize early on in, you know, this, this is a sign of sort of a mature composer, right? It's like, you know, it's not about... All of a sudden, it's not about trying to save every penny and, and keep it for yourselves, which I think as young composers, because that we, we don't have a lot of money, um, we're trying to, to, to keep a lot of it for ourselves. But it's also it's, it's about also realizing that you know you can't go 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 all the time. It's just it's not sustainable, right? And so understanding means to recognize recognize when you might be in trouble, when you need the extra help, and bringing them on in yeah. on early enough so that when you hit that line that you're not screwed. Right, so I think that's I one
0: think, thing. It's, I think that yeah. Sorry, one quiet. thing that's always impressed me watching you on the podium, uh, conducting and managing the whole session, both for yourself and for some of the work that you've helped me with, is that you have a you have a, a very keen sense of um, I guess what you'd call an eighty twenty principle. You know where what side the bread's buttered on. You know you know what you need to get right now versus what is what the big picture is, as you yeah. said, right? So one of the common phrases I often hear you say is, okay, we have to move on.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's it. You know when you've got the best you're going to get out of a cube. You might have yeah. some rocky bits, but you're yeah. going to fix it in post. Yeah. You have, you know, 30 more minutes of score to get to, and you're going to be truly screwed right. if you don't get yeah. 10 minutes of your most yeah. prime stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, 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 you know, the other part of that, and what I will say that, you know, that you also have to have a team that you trust, right? Because mm-hmm. And quite frankly, um, sometimes um, sometimes you don't know, right? Sometimes sometimes you're like, you know, and you have to have someone in the booth say like, hey, you got to pick up the base here a little bit. Like, you know, you have to have people, like, you know, I think it's not a one-man show. And I think anyone who thinks that, that they need to, that they can carry the weight of all that on their shoulders is... Dead wrong, and they're just going to find themselves in trouble. Like you know, they're they're going to find themselves um, in a position where they're where they're not going to be able to deliver. Like I, I think you need to be able to like very much so. Like in in the like, I've I've seen recording sessions where the composers conduct conducting. They go back in after every cue to go check, and it's like
0: oh boy, they're, they're yeah. losing
1: so much time. It's like you hire these yeah. people to do a job. Let them do their job. Like let them do their job, and 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 trusting it. You know. It kind of goes back a little bit to you know when we were talking about working with musicians. I have this philosophy where um, I, I I I've only think yelled twice, like, like lost my cool twice in a session, oh. um, uh, and what you know I I think I apologized immediately after that because <laughs> I felt so horrible about it. But I think is it, that like you know if something's wrong. It's not the musician's fault. It's not the team's fault. Ultimately, it's it's I'm the one who bears responsibility for that, because either I didn't give them the information or, or the resources they need to do their job, um, I, you know, they didn't have the aptitude to do the job or they didn't have, you know, they they just weren't the I had this much more eloquently in my head before, but, you know, they, they, I either didn't give them the information, they didn't have the aptitude to do the job, or they didn't have the time or the resources to do the job properly, right? All, any of those three, it's not their fault, it's my fault, right? And I, I sort mm-hmm. of think that when I, when I look at going through a process like that, you know, emotions don't get things done faster. You just have to be able to say, all right, I brought you in, I trust you for what you're doing, now help guide me through because everyone wants to do a good job. Right. No, I don't yeah. think anyone goes into the line of work that we want to do just kind of with a very mediocre, with, with mediocre standards, because you can't, you won't survive.
0: So many years ago, you made what many uh, screen composers, uh, you know, dream of doing, which is the big jump to storied Hollywood. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about that journey. How has it been for you in L.A.? Uh, how are you? How do you think about it now? And and what, what's your sort of bigger perspective on it now that you've been there for a number of years?
1: Um, it's tough. It's tough. I I won't lie and say that it's uh, wine and roses because it's not. Um, I think that the bulk of my work is still Canadian, uh, which is which is frustrating. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I expected to be in a different place. Like when I moved here, uh, almost. Oh my god! Nine years ago, uh, I I yeah, it's like nine years ago, almost like July first. of when when I, I started moving, um, but so I've been here for nine years. I I honestly thought I would have been in a different spot. I thought like okay, maybe it might take me a year to kind of get my feet wet, and then I'll be just doing all L.A. stuff. And the reality of it is, is that I've been doing multi Canadian stuff. Um, I think I think there's it's twofold. One. Um, Coming to a new place, especially like LA, um, look, let me back up. LA is, first of all, like there are so
0: many composers here, right? Mm, so uh, many incredibly talented performers.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. There's, there, 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 there's a lot of work here. Um, there's a lot of work here, although, you know, my wife says that, you know, you wouldn't have guessed so, you know, talking to me, but there's, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> there's a lot of work here, but there's a lot of talented people out here. And I think that one of the struggles that I've had is as a composer who's relatively established in Canada, it was hard for me to kind of eat crow a little bit and go back and do gigs that I would have been doing maybe five, 10 years ago in my career uh, to to, to reestablish myself. And I think I remember I had a really, um, I had a really sobering conversation where I was just like, there was like a, a year and a half where I just wasn't, it wasn't working anything substantial. And my buddy who's, a, my buddy Will, who's from Toronto also, showrunner, uh, writer and all that stuff. He said, like, let me take you out for a beer. And he kind of goes, you know, no one, and, and he did pan to me. Like he was just, he was seriously, no one gives a fuck about your Canadian credits here. No one cares about that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was, um, I think deep down inside, I knew that. But it was sort of the slap in the face that I needed to kind of get up there and go, and like, all right, we'll just be like, you know, like, you got to take a couple steps back and, and start doing that. And I started I started doing that. Like, I started, like, doing, like, like oh, God. Like, I mean, like, not that I won't do a short film, but like, it's just like, you know, sort of the, 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 the level of director, like, the level of production that I was looking for was was not bad. But then I, I started mm-hmm. bringing, I started doing those sort of like, you know, kind of finding these early on production in the sense to do that, to, to, to widen my, my network. And I found it really difficult. I found it really difficult to work with people who um, weren't necessarily as professional as I would have thought they were, they, they, as they should be, uh, that, that I was sort of professional as, as I was accustomed to working with, right? Um, to give you an example, I I signed up to do uh, a student video game just because that it was. Uh, I thought you know if I'm not working and I'm not going to do anything, for free, I, sh- I should learn something. I should learn to do some video game stuff, right? And I um, all of a sudden I got caught up with something, and you know, an email came in from the production team asking like, hey, can you deliver this two or three days earlier? And it just, you know, just, it slipped through the cracks in the email box. And right. you would yeah. have thought that something that, that urgent, if they hadn't heard back from me in a day or two, they would have just called me, right? And what happened? They fired me. <laughs> you know, I got fired. Oh. I, I got fired from a student a student production that paid no money, right? Jeez. And, wow. you know, and, 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 and it sort of baffled me. Like, I was just like, did that just happen? Right? And... And and, and and that was kind of like, I don't know if I can go back and sort of sort of like you know the same sort of professional courtesies and respect that you're expecting from season that you're used to from season team members, you're just not getting that at that level. And I also think that because at LA is is sort of the land of broken dreams a little bit, but also because the filmmaking is so much more for lack of a better term democratic here. like it, it's like you know in Canada, you're looking to get some sort of telephone funding or some sort of government funding to do it, and there's sort of that 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 that, that line here. I think people will 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 beg, borrow, steal twenty, thirty thousand dollars to make their first feature film, and and which is commendable and all that. But it also means that there's a lot more people doing it, and there's a lot more people who, um, for, who not who they may be talented at doing it, but they don't haven't had. They haven't had the uh, the professional. They, they haven't been taught. Up, they don't have the experience. They, they don't have the experience to be a professional, right? Right. Like to, to, to treat people well. But the, the, the little thing that you, you take for granted, right? Yeah. Like you know why are you why are you giving me, why are you giving me a cut? Like, why are you giving me a cut with temp music? Why are you giving me why, why are you giving me a cut where I can't take the temp music, where the temp music can baked on? Why aren't you giving me time coding? It's like, you know, or why are you, you know, why are we even, like, you're you're not paying me anything. You don't get to keep the copyright on all that stuff. Like, you know, right. there's those sort of battles that you're just like, you know, you, you don't want to fight, but you end up fighting them. And it just, it, it sucks a lot of the morality energy out of you. <laughs> so,
0: do you have any do you have any recommendations for anyone who's thinking about making the jump to LA would you would you have uh, you know suggestions on how to go about it and yeah yeah and find more success with it I think you
1: need to be um, there's there, there's two things that I'll say. that I think the earlier on in your career that you do it the better um because then again like you know um, I wasn't willing to go into like you know a ghostwriting position or an assistant position, or go into or or, or do sort of you know, you know, uh, lesser films from that. And I think that when you're younger, we you don't have sort of the success that you've seen in before. It's a lot easier to do that, right? It's a lot easier to to kind of build your career from scratch only once, as opposed to doing it twice. So that that's the first thing that I would say. Um, the second thing that I would say that it's a very lonely place, especially if you're working from home. Right. So that if you, if you have a network here, that's great. If you have a partner that you can bring with that, that's willing to make the move with you. I, you know, I think that if it wasn't for my part for free gifty and for my family, I think the battle would be a lot harder. Um, mm. Just because, I mean, two things. I mean, there's the financial, the financial stability part of it, but is it the emotional stability? I always say that yeah. you know, uh, you know, you know, and this has back to the self employment program. Nothing, you know, it's not even the financial ups and downs that's difficult about this career path. It's the emotional ups and downs, and about the the constant questioning of self self worth um of value your ability and all that stuff like that. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. you know, you can go on to conduct an orchestra and choir in concert one day to the next you go, like, fuck how am I gonna make how am I gonna make this mortgage payment? Or how am I gonna you know, how am I gonna pay my rent, you know? And right. and, and I think that just by being in LA,
0: those emotions
1: are uh are compounded just
0: because it's LA interesting. So Right. So you have to be prepared yeah. for that. How do you think about being a composer these days for the screen? Um, Are there things that concern you? Are there challenges that you think about? Uh, Are there things that you think not a lot of people, or not enough people know about uh, in terms of where we're at as an industry?
1: I get really scared about how you're going to make a decent middle-class living as a composer. Um, Mm -hmm. I think... You and I are very lucky in the sense that we were sort of part of the 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 last part generation that really got and, and you and I you know we never we never really fully tasted the fountain of of, of world. Right? <laughs> you know, we, we we got a good taste. Um, you know, Adrian and I we uh, we did Canada we did the music to Canada AM uh, until they shut it down, and you know for a few years we had. Some incredible financial stability there, and then all of a sudden it went poof, and away it went. Yeah, right? and I, I think that with the with uh, the OTTs and with the streaming services, um, you know, I'm hoping that the 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 royalty ecosystem will balance out. But the notion of making like you know, you know, I know composers off of shows that. Quite frankly, aren't you know the most popular or or, or the most famous shows to make very good six digit livings strictly off of the royalties, um, you know, and I, I think that's really the way of salvation for how do you do how do you survive how do you how do you make this crazy world you know sustainable for you, and the fact that that's going away. Um, really causes me concern because I take a look at some of my you know some of my colleagues who are a generation uh, uh, before me, you know, and or a generation or two before you, and you look at like wow, like they were able to have real solid like middle class livings based on the work and the revenue that was generated off them, and I mm-hmm. I I won't want I want that I want that I want that financial security, you know, and. I'm just wondering what can we do to make sure that we can all continue doing what we're doing because the way it's going right now, it's kind of scary.
0: Whether industrially or creatively uh, in terms of the industry itself, the sound of where film scoring is going or the industry in general, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel like there's a, there's a brighter future ahead?
1: I do. Um, I do because there's, God, there's so much good content out there now. There's mm. such great shows out there. Yeah. You know, uh, such great movies, and there's, there's different ways of viewing things. Um, you know, there, there should be lots of work, you know, for lots of people, right? Um, one thing, you know, not not to go back to doom and gloom, I mean, I think I, I get a little bit worried about the sort of Hollywood system of five composers take everything, but then they have, like, these minions of, like, you know, 20 ghostwriters working for them that, uh, that do that. And it's just like, you know, why can't we all just be honest about it and say like, no, I'm not doing the work. Someone else is doing the work and give them the credit and let this, let this ecosystem grow for people. Right. Um, but I think it's also people are very protective of that territory because it's their livelihoods and Mm that livelihoods of, of royalties, of back end is shrinking and shrinking quickly. Yeah. So, um, But I am hopeful because I think that you know, um, at least within Canada, that that we've got a strong, up and coming generation of leaders in the composing community who are willing to fight for what's right. Uh, For the longest time, I think I was the only composer under forty on the board of directors of the Screen Composers Guild, and uh, you know I'm very happy to say that that's not the case anymore or like, quite mm. frankly, like under the age of 45, you know? Um, right. And I, I think that, that, that we, we've, we've, we've mapped, you know, we have completely figured out our, our, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Our, um, our.
0: Succession plan.
1: Thank you. Succession plan. But, you know, I don't think it's as, as big of a question as it was when I was sort of like the first young guy to get on the board in a long time. Right. Um. Sorry, you asked a question and didn't answer it yet. (laughs) Well, let me, let me
0: put it, let me put you a different on a slightly different track. What, what do you see in scoring these days? And this is purely creatively that excites you. Like, where do you think some of the more intro, what are the more interesting voices that are coming out right now? What are the more, what are some of the exciting styles you're hearing? I, you know,
1: the modular stuff I think is really cool. I take a look Mm. at some of my colleagues, like, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I'll give Neil perfect as, as an example, right? You know, Neil and I have totally different writing styles, right? But <laughs> I just, I, I just you know, some of the stuff that he comes up with that, like, freaking, mach- like, his wall of machine is just so brilliant, right? Um, yeah. You know, I'm really impressed with, I think that,
0: you know, orchestra is coming back in, which is good for me,
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is good for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Do you think we'll ever hear the return of the big melody, like the John Williams style, sweeping, grand? Uh, you definitely remember it, and are yeah. humming it when you exit the theater.
1: I don't think it's ever really gone. Like you know, it's certainly extinct, but I don't think it's ever gone away. You know, I think that you still have, you still have some good, some really good themes. Now you're gonna ask me, like, what are your favorite theme? That you like, <laughs>
0: like,
1: damn it. You know, in all in, in all fairness, with two young kids. I don't get to see movies anymore, right? So. Um, but no, I, I mean, like you, you take a look at some, something like, uh, you know, Alexander's pet, right? You know, I mean, my son is in love with uh, Secret Life of Pets too, right? And there's some great stuff in there, right? And a lot of the animation stuff, I think, is really fantastic, you know. And yeah. even, even, you know, um, you know, Hans, uh, you know, I mean. You know, his, his his melodies are so simple, but so like I like just when you distill it down to what it is, they're so simple, but they're just so effective, right? Mm. Um, you know, so so yeah, you know, I, I I think there absolutely is room in this world, you know, and I, I don't you know, I don't think it's gone away. And I think that I have hope that there'll be people who just want that, that melody again, right? You know? I mean it doesn't mean that there's room there there's not room for uh, you know, um, I, you know, I don't want I don't want to call scores that don't have that thematic you know that thematic grab to you. I don't want to I don't want to make a judgment value on those. I think that they serve a purpose, but I think that um, you know they're more utilitarian than art. You know, and I think that you know I would love to see the comeback of the art more than the utility, right? Mm. how protected that that's sound. great how, how protected <laughs> that <sound>. holy fuck
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on right now that's exciting you as what it could be a personal project or something yeah, yeah, you're working on with somebody else yep.
1: um so right now i'm finishing up so we did um i did a documentary called a bee's diary we're just kind of reformatting that for a feature version um and then, and then the, the palette's kind of clean for a little bit. So, you know, I've got to, I've got to make some revisions to Equus in concert. Um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, originally those are supposed to be done a week after we did our last sort of thing, in, our, 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 big, our big, um, uh, workshop with the TSO in February, but we, uh, we, uh, our show got canceled. So I'm like, yeah, why rush to do it? Right. Um. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a little bit of a fight, you know, we applied for Canada Council grant, one of those coronavirus uh, uh, shelter in place grants, and I've got a little bit of a chamber opera thing that I'm, I'm working on with a friend, uh, so, so that'll be kind of fun. Hopefully, I'm hoping that we don't have to produce it like sort of Zoom style. Uh, but we can actually yeah. produce it like, you know, normally, but we'll see. You know, the thing about Zune style. Are you, that,
0: are you working with a librettist for that? Like, uh, what's the, and what's the theme? What, what, can you tell us what the theme is yet?
1: Um, the theme is, and, and this is all, all funding, funding uh, Funding reliant. The theme is actually on a racial, the racial strife that we are experiencing right now.
0: Uh, um, okay.
1: The idea and and you know I, I don't want to say too much about it because we haven't really gotten into our uh, we haven't really gotten into our, uh, our our deliberations mode, right? But I uh, sure. a, long, a long time ago I did I did a tapestry op, new opera the uh, the lib lab composed the Libratus laboratory and where that you basically write a new th- New scene to an opera, like a three-minute theme to an opera, uh, Scene to an opera, every two days, right? It's fucking mad. It's insane. It's it's probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. But it, but you know, the film and TV world, you know, sits you know, sets it pretty well for it. But um, the idea for this one is um, it's about uh, a father talking to his son, or having a heated conversation about uh, about race relations in Canada or right Canada and uh, a black father speaking to his black son about that. And, um, and, you know, hopefully that'll be a, a bigger piece. That'll be a smaller piece and a bigger piece. Um, but what's interesting yeah. about that is that I am, um, you know, my wife is is from Ghana. She's African, as you know, and my son, by all definitions, you know, if Obama is a black president, then my son is, is, is black and I've never really seen my son as being black but we found ourselves confronting these issues with all the racial strife going on. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I just said, you know, I'm not doing anything. Let's, uh, let's try to address this on an artistic level and let's see where we go.
0: That's amazing. It sounds like really interesting and very personal work, obviously. And I look forward to hearing it.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get, fingers crossed with the funding. So we'll
0: see. Absolutely. Yeah. As always. Um, Darren, do you have any parting words for our audience? Any asks or suggestions? <sighs>
1: Jeez. How long have we been going? We've been going on for a while now, haven't we? We've long, gone long. long. This
0: is a long a long format conversation, so it's all, it's all good. <laughs> the first thing that I would say is just, you know,
1: write good music. You know, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you don't write good music, no one's going to want to hire you, right? So write good music. And and know, know what it is that you're good at. Um, I think for the longest time... You know, I tried to be, you know, try to be a jack of all trades. And some people, like, and I know the composers who are legitimately good at being chameleons and just being like Jack, and, and that's, their, that, that, that's their thing, right? But, you know, no one's going to hire me to do a hip hop score. God help them if they do,
0: you know. But um, Lord knows you know, we tried. <laughs> that, that shall never find the light of day, yeah. I'm assuming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, know what you're like, know what you're good at and celebrate that, you know, and it, it's really, I think it's really hard to say that when you're struggling to get a gig or the next game, you just want, you're just so hungry that you'll do anything to get anything right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's just know what you're good at, you know, be humble, uh, be a good person. Don't be a jackass. You know, uh, um, there are are, are things that have happened uh, in my career that, you know, I've been really grateful for good people. And I've also been really upset by people who've been jerks, you know, Mm. and um, I just think at the end of the day, you know, I feel like I've been really lucky to get where I've been in my career because generally I've been a good person. You
0: know, I can be an asshole sometimes, but, you know. <laughs> but, but, well, Darren, yeah. uh, you know, this. you've certainly been very good to me over the years. I consider you one of my uh, most beloved mentors. Uh, and I owe oh, you a special, uh, you know, a uh, uh, special thanks for turning me on to this work. Uh, because 11 years ago, just before you headed to L.A., you passed the torch of uh, moderating panels over to me because you were doing that uh, at the time and, uh, wonderfully. So, and, uh, you know, that was something I never thought of doing. It never thought, it never occurred to me that that would be something I would either like to do or be good at. And here we are, uh, you know, 11 or nine years or however much later. And so, yeah, I owe you a big debt of gratitude for that. Darren, this has been enormous amounts of fun. Thank you so much for being so candid and open. You're a terrific kind and generous Uh, person and a fantastic wonderful composer and i hope people go and check out all of your work especially equus and the great human odyssey and all the other great stuff and i wish you nothing but the best and i can't wait to hear what's next for you
1: thank you so much it's so much fun doing this with a friend and a colleague i just have so much respect with so
0: thank you brilliant we'll see you soon see you soon (laughs) bye Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider showing your support by giving the show a five-star rating and sharing the episodes with your friends and followers. The Screen Composer Studio is produced by myself, Adrian Ellis. Graphics and post-production assistance by Nick Grimshaw. Special thanks to our managing director, Tanya Dedrick, as well as Charlie Finley, Elizabeth Hannon, and Guggen Singh for their support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers or reach out at tscs at screencomposers.ca.